0: In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward.
1: Welcome to Moving Forward. I am your host this week, Krista Nepper, and today joining me is Javier Rivera. Javier is one of my lifelong friends, um, an actor, a teacher, and most recently the creator of the one man show Salva Regina. Javier, thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me, Chris, and I love how you uh, pronounce my last name.
1: I've been trying. So, you know, my ex-husband was fluent in Spanish, so I would always get nailed on my accent. So I've been working really hard on that since moving to California.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I feel
1: like I've made it now. Um, (laughs) So I wanted to talk to you first and foremost about Salva Regina. Can you tell us a little bit about your one-man show and how it came about?
0: Well, I'm very excited about my my show. Um, uh, I've been a playwright for quite some time, but I have to say that in the last five years, it's sort of fallen dormant, that talent for me. I've focused on teaching and directing. But about, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, I was directing a friend of mine in her one-woman show in Washington, D.C., about the gentrification of the U Street area. And... I remember directing her and I remember thinking, this is a great show. She has a great story to tell. And at that exact moment, I remember thinking, well, you know, I, I have a story to tell too. I think actually what happened was I was thinking, I, I wish I had a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking that. And then and then the little voice in my head said, uh, you do. You do have a great story to tell. I love that. I love that. And I have to say that at that, that exact moment, I, I went back home. Uh, it was late at night. And I remember thinking, you know, before I go to bed, because uh, I do tend to procrastinate quite a bit, before I go to bed, I need to at least write one page of something, of something, just to like get something on paper so that I can say that I've started this process. And I wrote this this monologue uh, that was supposed to be the opening of my show. Since then, it's sort of like in the middle of the play. But I forced myself to write the play, and that was it. That sort of like sort of like cascaded into about... A six-month process uh, of writing the play, uh, of rewriting the play, of workshopping the play, and finally producing it.
1: It only took you six months to do that?
0: Um, it took me about six months for me to have a full, the full body of – or the semblance of a full play, let's okay. say. Um, I, think it, I think it took me about six months for me to take it to uh, Chicago dramatist which is um, kind of like a haven for young playwrights in Chicago, for me to take it there and sort of like workshop it and, and um, brainstorm it with other playwrights. And then after that, of course, I rewrote the, the heck out of it. But uh, about six, mo- uh, six months for me to have a body, you know, some sort of beginning, middle, and end. Absolutely.
1: Do you mind if I ask, what is your writing process? I know a lot of people get caught up on how they're going to do it. They get stuck, like you say, it becomes a talent, uh, something they want to do, but it becomes dormant. So, what was your process like, and how did you stick to it and really commit?
0: Well, you know, I, I used to be really into writing when I was in high school, um, and uh, and then I just got lazy. I have to say, I, I, I I'm an actor as well, so I acting sort of took over, and then I became a full time uh, university teacher, and that took over, and then I became a director because of the teaching at the university. So all these creative outlets sort of took over. And and writing requires a lot of discipline and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I used to be more disciplined when I was younger. No, but you are
1: now. You completed it. I mean, it's... it's-
0: I, I am now, but I have to say it, it requires a lot more uh, I don't know what's the word it requires a lot more focus on my part to sit down and do it so that's why, that's why I said what I said to you well, that's why when I went home that one day I was really excited I remember thinking oh my god I have a great idea uh, this is a great vehicle a great convention for me to tell the story uh, I, can't, you know, I can't let this go to waste this energy that I really hadn't felt in a while when it came to writing uh, I need to sit down and write something um, and that, and that was really it. So my pro- my process right now is I need to write about something that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I need to write, I need to be really passionate about, about it. Uh, f- for example, right now I started writing, uh, working on my second piece, but I wrote about two days worth of material and I've stopped because I'm not really feeling it. So again, I, I need to be excited about it and I need to find a quiet space that I can write and, um, if I lose it, if I, for some reason I'm just not feeling it, it just goes to the trash bin. It really does.
1: Well, it sounds like you're going with your gut and you're using your intuition.
0: Yeah, I think I know that's what excites me about Sally Regina. I, I, I'm a pretty good judge of material. I, I know what works, not only when it comes to my work, but in other people's works. Uh, I, I really, I don't know. I, 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 know I know I understand rhythm when it comes to playwriting and, and theater in general. I know, I know what's unique. I know what uh, I don't know. I, I know what what's going to be enticing to an audience. I just feel it in my bones. I don't know. I just I have a pretty good eye for that stuff. So that's why when I came up with my concept and my convention for telling my story, I just knew that I had a winner. Um, God, I, I hope that I'm not like jinxing my show, but. <laughs>
1: Actors are very
0: superstitious listeners, so
1: just know that you're not. I know you're not.
0: Italy. I mean, I should be like, "It's a horrible play, nobody." <laughs> that's what I should say. And then exactly, like, that's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I I feel I I have a good feeling about this. So so for me, if I have a good feeling about n- not only playwriting but. I don't know, a restaurant that I want to go to or a country that I want to visit, I just feel it, then um, I usually trust that that gut feeling because it's usually pretty accurate.
1: I love that. Well, you, tell us about Salva Regina. Tell us the story, how it came about. And I know that this was really an ex- exercise in exposing yourself and being oh. very vulnerable. So can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about that process too? It was an
0: exercise in like exercising my demons. yeah. Uh, Which I I have to say to your listeners, I was going to say viewers, to your listeners, (laughs) um, I highly recommend if you have any issues you need to work through, (laughs) even if if you're not a playwright, I suggest putting pen to paper and just writing something out. I guess that's that's exactly what what they say that people should journal. You know, when they say that you should journal or keep a diary, I never bought into that. I never bought into Oprah's like spirit book or whatever she called it. I never got bought into that. But now that I finished my one man show, I realized that that's exactly what I was doing. I was journaling yep. in, my, in, my own, in my own way. I was putting thoughts to paper and just purging all my, uh, all my feelings and uh, all my heartache, my joy, everything into a piece of paper. Uh, and whenever I perform that, it's like I'm exercising um, all those demons again. Um, I forgot your question though.
1: No. So what's the show about?
0: Okay. So it's, um, it's my coming out story. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm gay. Um, shocker, I guess <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a homosexual man. I'm from Puerto Rico. So, so this is, this is the coming out story of a young Puerto Rican man, uh, uh who grew up in Puerto Rico, strict Catholic upbringing, um, very tough, very, uh, very disciplined household. And not the easiest place to come to terms with your sexuality, unless your sexuality is uh, heterosexual, uh, Mm -hmm. which mine was not. So this is the coming out story of a Puerto Rican boy as seen through the eyes of this boy who is infatuated with Madonna. So that was the that was the convention that I used and the vehicle that I used to make my story an original story. Cause there's so many coming out stories out there right now, uh, in books and essay form and, and play form. So I knew, I knew that I had to find a vehicle to, to tell my story in an original and in a fresh way. And I'm always much better when it comes to humor. I think that a message can get across much easier if it's in a comedic kind of way. Sure, um, sure. So I remember thinking, you know, it should be uh, in this kitschy kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know, kind of fun uh, uh, vehicle utilizing the, this young man's infatuation, love, obsession for Madonna. And I infiltrate her lyrics into my play. And she's sort of like a spirit guide through my piece from, from childhood to where I am now, adulthood, and she guides me. I call her my Sherpa. You know, she's guiding like me that. through the trials and tribulations of, of coming out. So, so that's just the story. And the message behind it is that Madonna, in, I mean, it's not a play about Madonna. This is a play about a young man coming to terms with who he is. And Madonna is just a symbol, a metaphor for whatever we do in our lives Whether it is spirituality, whether it is friends, whether it is work, whatever gets you through, whatever gets you through, uh, you have to latch on to that. So so that's sort of what she symbolizes. And I think by the end of the play, I mean, at the beginning, I think people will think, oh, this is just sort of like an, an homage piece to her. But by the end of the piece, you realize this has nothing to do with her. This is about this man doing what he had to do to get to where he is right now.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: I'm really proud of it. I'm I'm really happy with with the outcome.
1: And you should be. So you've won several awards, correct?
0: I won. um, I performed the piece um, at the United Solo Theater Festival, which is in New York City. That was back in October, I think, of 2014. And I won the 2014 Best Actor Award at the United Solo Theater Festival, which was a huge honor. There were pieces from five different continents, uh, 160 uh, total one-man shows, uh, one-person shows, I should say. And, um, and I won the Best Actor, so I'm, I'm super excited. I, I, Billy Crystal won um, Best One-Man Show perf- Performance, I believe, like overall but he didn't win Best Actor. I did. <laughs>
1: wow. That's, yeah, that's tough company to be in. That's something to be very, very proud of. And you're published now too, correct?
0: I am. Uh, it was published by uh, Indie, Indie Theater Now which is an online theater publication uh, website in New York City. I mean, everything is going uh, online now. Yeah, it so, definitely so this is. So uh, it's an independent uh, publishing house, like I said, and they nurture up-and-coming playwrights. So hopefully this is just the beginning. I have uh, future performances in, uh, in, in sight, and I'm hoping that, I don't know, I'm hoping that it's not the end. I hope that there's many more awards and many more publications from here yeah, on.
1: Definitely. So if our listeners wanted to see the show, can you let us know what are the upcoming dates and where would they be able to find tickets?
0: Sure, sure. Uh, So I will be performing the piece at the Center on Halstead, which is, uh, for those of you who live in Chicago, you probably know what that is. If you don't, it's the LGBT Center uh, on Halstead Street. Again, that's a Center on Halstead. And uh, their website is www.centeronhalstead.org and you can purchase tickets there for my show, which will be August 22nd and 23rd. Uh, it's a weekend that they've very generously given to me because they realize that this piece, uh, they do a lot of social awareness and, and outreach, and they do realize that my, my piece uh, would be a, a really good tool for them to reach uh, an under, under-serviced uh, community, which is the Latino community in Chicago. Uh, where there's also a very high incidence of, uh, you know, of course, homosexuality. And, uh, and my story is a very common story in that community. So so I think they see this as a way for them to also work their agenda in. So we're going to work in tandem August 22nd and 23rd. Um, uh, it's an 8 o'clock show, I believe, on the 22nd and a 3 o'clock or 3.30 show on the 23rd. Uh, the tickets have not gone, gone on sale yet but they are be- recording this in March everyone. So, they oh. may be
1: by the time we we uh air this episode.
0: For sure, for sure. And uh so just keep checking the website and um but I guarantee you that by June those tickets will be up on sale because I will be in the middle of, you know, full throttle rehearsals by then. <laughs>
1: Well, you mentioned – so you said something about this is a common story in the Latino community. And I wanted to kind of backtrack to your um, Catholic upbringing. You mentioned growing up, you know, strict Catholic family, Puerto Rico. So you, can you share a little bit about the impact of that religious upbringing?
0: Oh, God. Uh, it's um, the impact. Well, uh, I have to say that it defines it, – my upbringing – primarily my religious upbringing defines everything that i do in my life.
1: That's a for big that, statement.
0: Yeah, that's huge for better or for worse. I, I i mean, um uh every decision that i make uh, and it's interesting because i've been thinking about this even from what, you know, from what i order at a restaurant as ridiculous as that, as that sounds to to where i go party with my friends. Like every single to what i wear. Uh, the language I use, everything uh, has been impacted by my years of catechism as a young child, mm-hmm. my years of going to church every Sunday, my years of praying novenas with my mother by an altar. Uh, I think if you have any uh, Catholic or uh, just religious uh, listeners right now, I think they can certainly relate to this. Um And again, I'm not passing judgment on anybody's story. I'm just speaking about my own personal story. But uh, it really, uh, it has really shaped, influenced, and um, kind of uh, set my life in a very specific course. Uh, And at times, I'm very grateful for that. At times, uh, it has served, uh, you know, the discipline and the focus of the Catholic religion has really served a great purpose in my life. But in other times, in particular, when it, come, when it comes to speaking about my sexuality and, and just my own personal life and my social interactions with others, it has done a disservice to me, I have to say. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, but, but that, that is my story. Hey, Moving Forward listeners. If you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of The Corporate Cliché's Adult Coloring Book Or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com.
1: And you and I had talked previously about Catholic guilt and the impact of guilt on our own upbringings. Can you share a little bit about Catholic guilt with our listeners and how that's influenced you? Catholic
0: guilt. (laughs) That's the name of my autobiography uh, and, and, and my rock band and everything Right. Else. Catholic guilt. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't even know how to begin. It's, it's, you know, for those of you out there that that, that are not familiar with Catholic guilt. First of all, congratulations. <laughs> That's you <crazy>. made it. <laughs> you made it. You have no idea what you have freed yourself from. Honestly. Um, it's, um, I was trying to, uh, I knew that you were going to ask me about that. And I was trying to define Catholic guilt and, and it, it is a force of nature. Forces are not always good. Forces can be bad. Hurricanes can um, be bad. Hurricanes can be bad. Absolutely. But most of the time, you know, right. tsunamis <laughs> are horrible. Um, My own so, bias
1: there. <laughs>
0: that's right. Um, so uh, Catholic guilt is a force is a force of nature, it's a force that pretty much will, like a hurricane, let's stay with that metaphor, revolves and percolates inside your mind year after year uh, of your life, and it, it dictates um, or, or it wants to dictate every single decision that you make. Like I said before, who, who your company is, who your friends are uh what kind of job you take what kind of lis- music you listen to what kind of books you read um every every single time that i'm at a crossroads um and i'm forced to make a decision my catholic guilt comes into play i hear a voice that says are you sure you want to do that or what would your what would your mother say what would your father say what would the priest say what would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? You know, I mean, this is, it, it's a very real um, conflict that I have on a daily basis. So, so I mean, going back to my play, in a way, writing that play and, and exercising my demons is really, it was a way of me dealing with that Catholic guilt and in a way trying to free myself from, from those uh, bindings. Because uh, it's, re- it's really no way to live. At least it's it's no way for me to live.
1: No, I agree. Obviously. I'm nodding right now <laughs>
0: vigorously. Sure, I can feel but, it. I can feel it. Yeah. Uh, no, it's 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 no way to live. You, uh, I envy. I envy those people that are born. Um, you hear about? I have friends that are born in. in I don't know. It's weird to say faithless households because that's not it. They have, they have some sort of faith, but they live in these religious free households where they were born. Uh, just to appreciate the value of the of right and wrong, and being kind to others, and that's it. Those are the lessons that they need to know, and nothing else. And and that has served them really well in life. And for me, in my upbringing, I did I did certainly have that. My mom definitely instilled that in me. But then, this other baggage of. If you do this, you're going to fry in hell. And if you do this, you got to, you know, spend, you know, five years in purgatory. Like all this stuff that I, I honestly, I'm, I'm currently trying to, to convince myself that I, I don't buy into that. Because, again, that's no way of living. That's no way of living your day-to-day life. It's about being a good person and being good to others, period. If that's as far as you get... You you have gotten pretty far in life.
1: Well, it's so interesting as you're talking, my thought is that when you're speaking of people that grew up in households that were non-Catholic, let's say, um, but just learning right from wrong, really that's an inner voice to me. That's intuition. That's knowing the difference and being empathetic, realizing your actions may be hurtful to others versus what you were saying. What does Jesus think? What does my mother think? What does the priest think? So you're allowing other human beings to be your accountability buddy rather than just that internal voice. And to me, the internal voice we all have, that's the divine, really.
0: I, and I, I I, so agree with that. And I have to say that as a, as a child, I didn't have uh, that intuition. I don't know. I, I don't know if children, or maybe they do. I guess some children do. My, they might be so evolved. They did they do have that intuition that tells them um, you know this is wrong or why are you believing in this? Or or that allows them to question things. But as a child, I never questioned anything. You know, wow, my, re- wow. my religion was my parents' religion. My political views were my parents' political views. Um, because the Bible taught me so. You know, that. I mean, it's, it's that, that, that cliche, but it was so true for me. So my intuition didn't really start to kick in, I think, until I hit college. I think until I was, when I left my home and I had to fend for myself and pay my own bills and, you know, do my own laundry, when I did all those things, I think that's when my intuition started to develop itself, thankfully. And I do have a very strong sense of intuition right now. Um, but, um, but again, it's a constant battle, uh, because I, I do have intuition, but I also have that, that voice from my early, early childhood days that, that questions that on a day to day basis.
1: Okay. Let's talk about that because I want to know when did you first know you were gay and then when did you first come out?
0: Well, I, I think I knew that I was gay. My earliest memory, my earliest memory of me being gay was, um, I think as far as five years, five years old, I, I remember thinking at the age of five, I remember thinking, I'm, I'm not like the other boys in this classroom. Mm-hmm. I felt that, um, again, I wasn't thinking I'm gay. I like men. It wasn't any of that, but I remember thinking I'm, I'm different. Sure. I'm different. I'm not the kind of son my parents want. I think I remember thinking that. That's powerful. That is pretty powerful for a five-year-old to think. Um, Yeah. I remember also I would draw a lot of, you know, I would love to draw fashion. At the age of five, I gravitated towards drawing skirts. I don't know why, but I, I, I found skirts fascinating maybe because i I couldn't wear them, maybe because I knew that my dad would be upset if I wore them, I remember thinking sk- skirts were a big thing for me <laughs> <And>
1: they, <laughs> and they were they a big continue, thing for me early continue,
0: on <laughs> yes, they continue to be to this day i I'm, I'm, <laughs> um but no, I remember thinking that at the age of five um okay so so this will this will be kind of profound, so I knew by the age of five that i was i was gay or whatever I want, whatever you, a child calls it then.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: didn't come out until I was 27. Wow. Let that sink in. Yeah. Let's pause for that for a moment. Let's just breathe that one. <laughs> I didn't come out till I was 27. I, I I lived a closeted life till then, which I have to say is pretty profound and deep, especially now because I just, I I know so many people out there. I I, I have friends that I know are living closeted lives. And I just just wish, I just wish they would free themselves. If they only knew that the pain that they think that they're going to uh, instill upon themselves when they come out will be so much less than the pain that they will continue to endure by staying closeted, they would come out. They so, would still come out.
1: So let me ask you a question. Were you concerned about, and I think I know the answer, Before our listeners, were you concerned about your own pain when you were still in the closet, or were you concerned about the pain of your mother, your father, your siblings, your priest?
0: Oh, God. My, mostly my mother, I have to say. Mm. I, I was a younger... I am... I was. I continue to be the youngest child. <laughs> I continue to be the youngest child, and... um Yeah, I was a mama's boy and, and I was, I grew up very attached to my mother and, and I didn't want to break her heart. Um, I, I knew, I knew even at the age of five, again, that if I even revealed to her, uh, that I like to draw skirts, you know, going back to that image, I remember, I remember thinking she's going to be heartbroken, so I need to keep this in I need to. I need to not reveal this about myself. And I, and and I remember in high school, I remember thinking, you know, maybe I can do this. I can lead a straight life. Maybe I can get a girlfriend. Maybe I can. Um, um, I can do this. So for for a while there, I was content and determined to lead a closeted life to the day I died. Which which. Thankfully, I was able to free myself from that and break away from that, but I know people out there that that don't, and, um, you know, that's just sort of like existing. That's not living.
1: Yeah. So what was your crux? What was your turn- turning point that allowed you to come out and confess your truth, and to whom did you first come
0: out? Well, this is a very funny story. I was living in New York City, and I – I mean, the moment that I decided to say – to speak my truth out loud and say I am gay. I was out, uh, I went on a date with this girl. Her name was, is, Janice and- uh, (laughs) Alex Seinfeld. Yes, exact, exactly, exactly. Everybody has a Janice in their life. (laughs) And and she asked me out on a date or I asked her out. I can't remember, I liked her a lot. I mean, I, I recognized that she was very attractive. I recognized that she was a catch. She was smart, she was accomplished. I, I, she loved to salsa dance. I was like, you know, this girl is perfect. I think I'm going to go on a date with her. So we went out to the Latin quarter in New York city and we had a great night. Oh my God. We danced everything, merengue, salsa, cumbia, the whole thing. We drank, it was, it was really turning out to be an awesome date. And then I remember walking to walking her and well, the two of us walked together to the subway station And I really thought that was going to be the end of a date as, as it usually was, because I I had gone on dates with girls before and I really never got as far as that, you know, that was pretty much the end of the evening for me. Right. And I was fine with that because I was nervous about what would happen after that, of course. So she asked me um, if I wanted to go to her place. She said, do you want to come over to my place? My roommate's out of town. And I was like, oh, uh. <laughs> I remember thinking out loud, uh, well, to myself, no, not out loud. I remember thinking, uh, I think I know what the right answer is. The right answer is yes. Let's go back to your place and heaven help me, you know, because <laughs> I'd never, I'd never kissed a girl and I have no issues talking about this now, Yeah, <laughs> but I did back then. Sure. I'd never kissed a girl. I'd never been with a girl. I mean, I was a virgin completely, I was so unexperienced, inexperienced. And, um, and I remember thinking I should say yes, but I had, I had been there so many times before in a situation where I felt I had to compromise who I was on the inside. And I I, I said, I'm done. I'm not pretending anymore. I cannot do this. So I said no to her. I think I lied to her. I think I said, I have, um, I have, um, I have a job tomorrow. I have to go to work tomorrow. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. Uh, but she, some other time, for sure, I'd love to do that. And I, and I remember that her face was, a, she got very angry with me. And, um, mm-hmm. and she, got on a, she stepped onto the subway. She said goodbye. And to this day, she's never said, I have never spoken to her, sadly. Um, I think she felt used by me. And, and truthfully, I had used her. Um, um, I know that I had used her, uh, to sort of like, I don't know, serve me in my, in my heterosexual ways. But as soon as that happened, I remember having like a mini breakdown. Uh, and I, and I got to my apartment in, uh, Washington Heights in New York city. And I called my, one of my best friends, Ryan Clark, who continues to be one of my best friends. And, um, I came out to him over the phone. Um, I, I knew I had met Ryan about 12 years before this, I think, or like six years before this. And I remember meeting him and thinking he is, he is the one that I'm going to come out to, you know, in life we have these, I don't know, guardian angels, these Sherpas. We have these people that the, the, the universe, God, destiny, whatever you want to call, call it puts in front of us, puts in our, in our path. And he was that for me. I mean, when I say this to him, he rolls his eyes. He's like, oh my God. But it's the truth. For me, he was, he was a savior. He was there for me. And I knew that at some point I would come out to him. And sure enough, that evening I called him and he was there for me. And that was the beginning for me. I remember that night saying to him, I am gay. And I remember like, I remember hearing the echo of those words in my room because I had never uttered those words out loud before not even by myself in my own room with nobody around so that was the first time that I came out to someone that was the first time that I uttered the words out loud and I'm not gonna lie to you I'm not gonna say that it was like oh my god it was a you know it was a, like a come to Jesus moment it wasn't like that it was it was kind of scary for me at first it was like okay so where do where do I go from here um but but Looking back at that time, it was really the beginning of the rest of my life. As cheesy as that sounds,
1: no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's yeah,
0: very profound. It was. It was really the beginning of of, of my new life. I was. I was. I was reborn. I was reborn on that day. I really, really, truly was. And um, you know, it was all rainbows and lollipops after that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Madonna. And Madonna. And Madonna. Always Madonna. Always. Well, I want—I know you and I have spoken about the Kinsey scale before, and I wanted to talk about that for any of our listener, listeners who are not familiar with it. So would you mind defining that
0: for us? Sure. Um, I'm not an expert, so I'm going to do no, my- No, no, our, in, our
1: interpretation.
0: Yeah, my interpretation of it. Well, there's a great movie. Uh, for those of you out there who don't know who what the Kinsey scale is or who Kinsey was, there's a great movie starring Liam Neeson. Uh, I think he got an Oscar nomination for it. He plays Kinsey. And he was just this sort of like this, this, he was sort of like Dr. Ruth before Dr. Ruth. He was this, I believe this German therapist slash psychoanalyst slash psychologist. I'm not really sure what his title was, but it was in the late forties, fifties, around that time. And um, his, his specialty, his area of study was sexuality. And um, as a man of science, he realized that, you know, we have heterosexual people out there, and we have uh, homosexual people out there. And I believe he also studied asexual people too. He realized that there was a whole spectrum of sexuality out there. And in particular, when it came to homosexuality, he developed, designed this scale. I think it goes from 0 to 10. 0 being I don't really know. Zero being um, sort of like – it's sort of a scale of homosexuality. If you're on that scale, you're gay. But if you're closer to a zero, then I don't know. uh, You might be more quiet about it. You might be more – I mean I think I'm stereotyping here. But you might be more into sports. You might be more into, I don't know, growing facial hair. I don't really know. More
1: masculine. More more masculine.
0: More stereotypical – heterosexual archetypes and I got to be very careful how I say these things because I don't, I don't want to be stereotypical about this because I mean a beard and sports clearly is, can also be a homosexual attribute. Um, but but then when you get closer to the 10 to a 10, um, maybe those are the ones that are more inclined to, I don't know, be slightly more feminine, whatever, however you define that. Um, be more into <laughs> drawing skirts as a child <laughs> uh, or listening to Madonna. I mean, this is like, <laughs> I'm psychoanalyzing myself as I speak to you. Um, so maybe that's sort of like the range. And and, and he recognized that men um, fell somewhere in that scale. I'm not really sure if he studied uh, women, if he studied lesbians. I know that this applies to, to gay men. And, and he realized that men, gay men fell somewhere in that Scale. I don't really know if there's any uh, scientific uh, weights or value to the scale, but I have to say that it is an interesting visual uh, to think about it, to to think about your sexuality in the terms of a scale. We do that with so many things. We do that with autism, for example. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just something that utilizes or allows us to understand each other and others a little bit better and it, it has helped me because there are times when I'm at a bar, for example, and I'm like, oh, he's definitely a three. <laughs> Or, On the or, scale. <laughs> or, or, or that one's a 15. Yeah. Right, right.
1: And well, and I think it's,
0: it exists.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's so interesting because I think no matter your sexuality, we're all composed of both masculine and feminine energy. And at certain times, I'm obviously a heterosexual, feminine, female, but sometimes I have to be very masculine in my work. If I want to be direct, if I want to get things done, I feel that that is masculine energy. And I feel that I like the way you said it, too, because I feel these conversations can be very triggering to some people. They have such rigid identity standards with their own sexuality. So to explore it and know that there is a range out there and that no matter your gender, no matter your sexual preference, we're all composed of both masculine and feminine energy.
0: I I agree. And I really see that in me. It's interesting. There are moments um, uh, w- when I'm with my, my nephews or when i 'm with children that I do again, I hope that i 'm not being stereotypical here, but I do sense that feminine energy coming out for example i 'm mm-hmm. very good with children yes, um, yes. i 've taught four year olds five year olds i have I have four nephews, one niece, and i 'm very caring, very nurturing uh, and 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 that 's what I do best and I have to say that when my nephews, for example, which is interesting, when they grew older. And they were like, when they got older and they were like in nine years old or 10 years old, and they wanted to uh, stop, you know, doing like baby stuff, they would say, and more like ride their skateboard or play football with their uncle. That wasn't my thing. Right. So that's an example of my masculine energy not, not clicking in. <laughs> so so there, are, there are moments when I'm with children or when I'm, in a, when I have to, I'm a teacher as well. So when I'm a nurturer... Or when I'm a mentor, my my feminine energy kicks in big time. But for example, when I'm when I'm doing some sort of business, or, or when I'm speaking with uh, uh, I don't know the gardener, or when I'm speaking to the pool guy that's coming to clean the pool, or when I'm speaking to the electrician, I mean my masculine energy kicks in. Whenever like things have to get done, yes, I'm very proactive. I'm very direct. I'm slightly aggressive. Uh, I've been told that I need to tone it down. Sometimes my partner is like, you need to tone it down. I'm like, if I don't, if I tone it down, it's not going to get done, you know? So that's sort of how I see that. So I don't know. Um, I I see those two energies very much, very much alive in me.
1: Absolutely. I like that. Well, you Um, had mentioned to, um, your intuition earlier, and I wanted to circle back to that. So you were saying you weren't, in touch with that so much when you were a child, but you are now and you allowed that to guide you, so how did you find that? How did you cultivate your own intuition?
0: Um, I think I think it must have been an organic happening in my life um, i can't remember I can't remember ever saying, "I need to cultivate my intuition right now or, or, or I need to learn to listen to myself a little bit better I think that voice was inside me. I believe that we all have that voice. We all have that intuition. We, we all have that sixth sense uh, that 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 guides us, that warns us. Uh, I really do feel that and, and many times we ignore it and many times we embrace it. Um, and for a very long time, I was ignoring it. I didn't trust it because everything that it was saying went against everything that I had been taught to believe. So it really wasn't until I left for college that I left my house, my home in Puerto Rico, where I had the silence, you know, the silence of 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 being away from, and this sounds so awful, but just being away from my family, I was able to to develop as an adult by myself and, and, and truly be in charge of my own destiny. But that voice started to resonate and be a little bit louder. And for me to go, yeah, yeah, that, that does make sense. Um, It really wasn't until I was away from my home that I was able to do that. So I think if, if anybody's looking to cultivate that voice within them, I think you need to turn the, you need to turn the noise down. Whatever that noise is, it needs to be either turned off or turned down.
1: I love that. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of static. I had a lot of static in my life growing up, a lot of static, but I'm still trying to quiet. But uh, when, I, when I got on a plane, when I physically got on a plane, and maybe sometimes that's what you have to do. I think sometimes you have to physically remove yourself. And I physically flew from Puerto Rico to Washington, D.C. And that's the moment that my voice started to um, be m- noticed more by me.
1: And that's the important person who needs to notice it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, nobody
0: else. Nobody else. Just me. Yeah. Brilliant.
1: So Javi, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, to connect with you, are you available on social media? How would they do so?
0: Yes. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of like technologically illiterate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, but I am on Facebook and I am, I have email. (laughs) (laughs) Are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Um, I am on Twitter. Yes. I'm on Twitter. I'm not on LinkedIn only. I'm not, I haven't really explored LinkedIn. Okay. My my partner is, I should, I should get on LinkedIn, but I am on Twitter. Uh, my, is it my username? Is that what they call it? Or what do you call it? Is it username? Handle. Yeah. My handle is, uh, I believe, I think it's Javier Fidodo. I can spell that for you. Please, Javier, please do. Javier <laughs> Fidodo. It's um, it's uh, J A V I E R F I D O D O. Don't even ask me. It's an old high school joke. Something. It was like it was a character that I played once in a play, and actually a play that I wrote. Speaking of like my own playwriting experiences and that's um, that's stuck. So that's my username, my handle on Twitter. And I'm, uh, I'm also on Facebook, just Javier Rivera. I'll be the one with, you know, the sunglasses and the killer tan in the photograph. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I'm also, I mean, I'm cool with people emailing me. I don't know if, if that's possible, but. Sure. but
1: You want to give us your email?
0: Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. I have a, I have a ghetto email address. It is. <laughs> It is J-A-V-I-E-R-R at M-A-I-L dot com. Just so email dot com. Mail dot com. It's Javier with an extra R at mail dot com. Not Gmail, not Hotmail. I know it's tragic. Plain old mail. I've come to terms with that yet. <laughs>
1: I love that. Javi, thank you so much for being here today. And would you give the name of the website? So August 22nd and 23rd. And if you're looking to get tickets to Salve Regina, they are available at one more yes. time.
0: They'll be available at uh, the Center on Halstead website, which is uh, org. And uh, the full name of the play is Salve Regina, A Coming of Gay Story. So... Uh, come check it out. Uh, Chicago is a great city and that'll be a fun weekend to be there.
1: Chicago is the best city. It sure is. And
0: the weather will be nice. The weather will be nice. So
1: One of the three months it is.
0: Yes, come catch some good theater and then head on on over to the beach, our our pretend beach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for being here today.
0: Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate the time.
1: Yeah, and listeners, thank you as well. Did you like this podcast? If so, rate us on Stitcher and iTunes and subscribe. Once again, I'm Kristen Epper. Good night and satnam.
0: Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com, all rights reserved.